You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. All right, our reading today is from Psalm 119, 153 to 176. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. Look, I look at the faithless with disgust, because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. Let my tongue, my tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Thank you to Jordan for reading our last passage from Psalm 119. Um, most, as most of you know, over the summer, we've been reading through Psalm 119, which is the longest psalm in the Bible, and we've been using its running theme of, of, of praising God for his word to talk all about the Bible, what it is, why we should be reading it, how to read it, how to pray it and delight in it and meditate on it. Better yet, we've been, we've been learning how amazing, how amazing it is that, that God, our Father, has given us his words of life, which transform us and saturate us in truth, ultimately pointing us to Jesus Christ into his salvation and his perfect will and purpose for our lives. Uh, St. Augustine of Hippo once wrote, the Holy Scriptures are our letters from home. I love that. The Holy Scriptures are our letters from home. And, and it's similar to what Pastor Walter reminded us of uh, a few weeks back when he shared with us that the, that the Bible is like a love letter from his father, from a father to his children. They're divinely inspired letters from home. These are God's words to us. They're life-changing. They're the words of life. As Jesus, quoting from the Bible in, in Deuteronomy, declares Matthew, from Matthew 4.4, 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
which is why our goal this summer in doing this, this series was to hopefully get us more excited about reading our Bibles and, and to uh, attempt to address and, and hopefully remove uh, some of the obstacles which, which might have been keeping us from doing so. Um, because if we want to experience true and abundant life as followers of Jesus, we need to be saturated in the Word of God. It's not a, an option, as I've said before. It's, it's not an add-on to our relationship with the Lord. It's an integral part of it. John Wesley once wrote, I, 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 want, I want to know one thing, the way to heaven, how to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way. For this very end, he came from heaven. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I have it. Here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be a man of one book. That should be our cry. And it confirms what what Charles Spurgeon also once wrote as well. He said, if you wish to know God, you must know his word. The Bible is how God has chosen to primarily speak to us and reveal himself to us. It's how he both comforts us, teaches us, calls us, and humbles us. It's how we grow in our understanding of the world and who we're meant to be as as the church, as his people, as citizens of his kingdom. It's how we know how we're supposed to live what it means and what it looks like to follow and walk in obedience to Christ, to do good works, to live in faith, purpose, and perseverance, and how to keep ourselves unstained from the world. It's how we're informed of God's promises and his plan to redeem his people from the power of sin into resurrection life through the grace and perfect work of Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. It's how we read and know the testimony of Jesus. It's how we grow in the knowledge of his truth and wisdom. And in the same way, how we avoid being misled or deceived by false claims, false teachers, and by the father of all lies. It's one of the primary reasons Jesus fills us with the Holy Spirit to help us understand the word and to write it on our hearts so that we can grow in him and worship him in spirit and in truth. It's how we're equipped to shine as lights for Jesus' name in the world and to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the lost. And it's how we know what to pray for and what to hope for and what to repent of and what to sing about. And finally, how to correct and teach and encourage each other in our faith and as disciples of Christ. The Bible is incredible. And, and to that end, as we come to the end of our summer sermon series this morning, it's that last point that I want to focus on today. The, the importance of reading our Bibles for the benefit of not just yourself, but for one another. I can remember a day about 15 years ago. This was a couple of years before I was a pastor, and I had decided to pick up my Bible and read it after admitted, admittedly having neglected it for a couple of days. And I found myself reading where I'd left off, which was the beginning of Second Peter. 
And it was all about how through the knowledge of Jesus, God has granted us all things pertaining to life and death, made us partakers of his divine nature, and rescued us from the corruption caused by sinful desire. He's rescued us from the corruption caused by sinful desire. So in reading that, it was a good reminder for me and and definitely filled me with thankfulness and joy for what God had so freely given. But to be honest, in that moment, I wasn't like exactly feeling blown away by the passage since it, it was a familiar passage to me. But no joke, almost as soon as I was finished meditating on it, there was a knock at my door. I answered it to find this guy that, that I only kind of knew from my church, and he was standing on my doorstep. And long story short, after I invited him in, he, he shared with me that he'd been, been struggling with giving into what I'll just call sinful desires. And, and, and he had been compelled to, talk, to come and talk to me about it. And at first, I couldn't for the life of me think of why this guy had randomly showed up, my, uh, showed up at my door. I, I, like, I wasn't a pastor at the time. I only kind of knew him. We weren't close by any means. But then it dawned on me. The passage I just finished studying in Scripture, <clears throat> all about how Jesus has given us the power to turn from our sinful desires, was exactly what this guy needed to hear in that moment. He wasn't there for me. He was there for the word. It wasn't about me at all. It was about what God had just taught me. And so I immediately opened my Bible back to where I just read because it was fresh in my mind. And and I was able to share it with him and, and, and use that truth to encourage him to repent and trust in the Lord for the forgiveness and freedom from his sinful desires and then pray that truth over him. And, and what I'm saying is that I wasn't reading and studying the Bible just for myself, for my own personal growth that day. No, the Lord was preparing me so that I'd be able to speak that word into someone else's life. And don't get me wrong, I'm not pumping up myself here. I'm not trying, trying to tell the story like, like it was some awesome rare God moment which happened to me. What I'm trying to imply here is that this type of story should be a normal and even daily occurrence for all of us as believers. God wants to use us to impact one another's lives with his word. But he can only do that in us when his word is written on our hearts and in our minds. His words are powerful. They are freeing but we need to know them. And, and I don't know, maybe it's because we, we do live in such an individualistic, self-serving culture, or maybe it's because of the push over the last 40 years in the evangelical church to emphasize our focus on our, our personal relationships with Jesus. I, I don't know, but, but whatever the reason is, I think as the church, we've, we've largely forgotten or, or neglected to recognize that one of the primary mandates for every single follower of Jesus is to build up the church. To instruct and encourage one another with the truths of the Bible. This is an integral part of the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19 to 20, this is Jesus 
All authority has been given to him. And so he says to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then just stop there and don't do anything else. No, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. Our our commission from Jesus himself, the, the word become flesh, is to make disciples And yes, and and we learned this last week from Pastor Brad's awesome sermon. We need to be preaching the word to to the lost, to see them saved. We need to be making disciples. But it goes beyond that as well. We're also called to then actually disciple one another through teaching each other what Jesus taught. What I'm saying is reading the Bible isn't just important for you personally. It's also important for us collectively. Collectively. We need to individually grow in the word so that we can disciple others with it. To put it negatively then, or or just as a warning, if we neglect the Bible, we neglect the body of Christ. If you neglect the Bible, you're neglecting your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because how can you instruct others in the word if you don't know it? How can you encourage others in the word if you don't know it? How can you give good advice if you don't know what's good? But on the flip side, then, when when we do dig into the Bible and when we grow in it, it's also going to benefit the body. It's going to give us confidence to teach and correct and encourage other believers with, with, with the only truths that have the power to transform them and direct their lives as, as followers of Jesus. This particular effort is what Paul commends the church in Rome for. In in Romans 15, 14, he says to them, My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, that is knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, and able to instruct one another. And then it's what he encourages the church in Colossae to do as well. Colossians 3.16, he encourages them. He says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. As a a musician myself, I love this passage because it's saying, yeah, the the word of God, Christ dwell richly among you and then turn those into songs and sing them to one another so that you can teach the word to one another. I love that. But the point here is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Be full of the knowledge of God. In other words, know and read your Bible so that we can be capable of directing and leading and admonishing one another in the way of Jesus. In in his second letter to Timothy as well, the Apostle Paul again emphasizes this as being a top priority. 2 Timothy 4, 1-3 says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. So you know that this is important. When he's talking about like, I charge you in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus, who's judging the living and the dead. You know this, whatever he says next is going to be important, right? Significant. Preach the word. Preach the word. 
be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is important. Preach the word in season and out of season. Preach the word. Of course, I'm not saying that everyone is, is called into the vocation of being a pastor or a preacher or teacher like Timothy was, who he's writing to in that passage. But, but the point still remains. The proclamation, instruction, correction, and teaching of the word of God within the church body should be paramount. Especially in these times today when, when everyone is going off and, and choosing to believe whatever suits them or sounds good to them, just as Paul prophesied and warned us of here. People need the truth more than ever before, we could argue. And the fact of the matter is we all play this role. We're all called to play this role, not just the pastors. Specifically speaking, we can see in the Bible that, it, that it's instructs older women to instruct younger women in the word. It tells older men to teach younger men in the word. And parents are commanded to teach the word diligently to their children. Believers are told, again, to instruct, admonish, encourage, and exhort one another with scripture. Always with an attitude of love and and grace, of course, especially when we're talking about correction So never in arrogance or hubris. And the Bible, especially the book of Acts, contains many examples of of lay people in the church effectively and importantly teaching and correcting other believers with Scripture. Like, for example, when Philip explains the book of the prophet Isaiah to the Ethiopian eunuch, or when Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife team, they instruct Apollos concerning the way of God more accurately. Paulus was, was an awesome speaker, but he wasn't preaching the gospel totally correctly. And they came in and said, no, this is, this is what it really is. So the, the point is this, for, for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be reading our Bibles and growing in the knowledge and love of God. Holy Spirit, for the sake of your church, make us hungry for your word. At the beginning of the sermon series, I I mentioned some alarming stats about Bible illiteracy among the Western church. And, And to be blunt, if you might remember, it's not good. Even though we have access to the Bibles, to the Bible on our phones, we have like 10 in our house all the time, you know, more access than anyone ever before. And we're probably the, the worst at knowing what it says, just as the Western church in general. It's, it's really low. The stats, the stats are bad. And these stats don't just include new believers, which is fine. Of course, new believers are just still growing. They're, they're still infants in their faith. That's fine. They're And it doesn't just include unfaithful church attendees or whatever. No, these stats include people who've been faithfully attending their church for 10, 20, 30 years, showing up every Sunday morning, 
listening to the sermon, consuming, and yet there's little to no fruit in their lives to show for it. They, you know, they haven't really grown in character or, or changed their lifestyles or influenced others with the message of the gospel. And that's because they're not reading their Bibles consistently. Like it says in Hebrews 5, 12 to 14, although by this time you ought to be teachers... You still need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. By this time... You ought to be teachers. These verses are reminding us that as as Christians, our duty is to become mature in the word. It's telling us that we cannot become content with sipping on milk like a bunch of infants, but that we're called to feast on the meat of the Bible to get to the place where we can become confident in what it says, always ready to give an account of what we believe, and of course, able to teach others and and encourage one another in the glorious and saving truths of the gospel. What, What I'm saying is we need to become mature in the word so that we can help others become mature in the word. We need to become more and more grounded in the truths of scripture so that we can remind and and instruct one another to know and obey what it says. We need to know and understand the teachings of Jesus so that we can teach others, especially the next generation who are with us here this morning, to walk in his ways. We need to become increasingly steadfast and trusting in the promises of God so that we can pray for and encourage one another in their faith with those very same promises. And finally, we need to keep humbly allowing Scripture to bring us to a deep conviction for our own sin and our own areas of growth so that we can be set free to compassionately and lovingly correct our brothers and sisters in Christ with theirs. We need each other. This is the same idea that the Lord spoke to the people of Israel after giving them the the commandments. Deuteronomy 6, 4-9 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. What are you to do with them? Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. We should be saturated in the word so much so that it can't help but overflow out of our hearts and lips 
in every area of our lives and into the lives of our children and other believers. So if we're not already, let's stop sipping on milk and start feasting on the solid food of Scripture. Not just for our own sakes, but for the people sitting in the chairs next to you. And again, for the next generation of Christians. Ultimately, for the glory of God. Let's ask God to make us hungry for his word and to help us grow in maturity so that we can commit to making sure we're influencing and instructing others in it as well. For, for this is what we've been commanded to do. As it says in James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Those four words are probably one of the most important four words, some of the most important four words in all of scripture. Do what it says. Let's read it and do what it says. Really, that's what this whole sermon series has been all about this summer. Let's read the Bible, grow in our understanding of it. Let, it. let it have its effect in us so that we can do what it says in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's simple, really. It's simple. Read it and do what it says. Why, and why wouldn't we? It contains the words of life. As one theologian once wrote, which, which I feel sums up our whole sermon series quite well, and we're going to conclude with this. He writes, Dear Christians, read the Bible. Study the Bible. Meditate on the Bible. Obey the Bible. Be transformed by the Bible. Repeat daily until God calls you home. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you so much for this congregation. I thank you so much for the people here this morning. I thank you that you are here with us, that, that your presence is with us, Lord God. And Lord, I thank you so much for your word, your word which was revealed to us through Moses and the prophets, through Jesus Christ, the word become flesh. Through the apostles, Lord God, that it, your incredible word, your, which gives us, which points us to the way of life, to the way of truth. Lord God, I, I pray that you would forgive us for when we've neglected it. And, and, and in so doing, we've neglected you. We've neglected our relationship. We've neglected our neighbors. We've neglected our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, forgive us for those sins, Lord. And I pray that you would turn that around, Lord God, make us hungry, hungry for your word. That we would desire more of you. Lord God, that, that you would take control of our lives through your word, Lord, that you would write it on our hearts and in our minds, that it would just overflow out of our lives and out of our lips, that we can't help but proclaim it to one another. 
That we would, we can't help but encourage one another with the word and, and lovingly correct one another to come back to you when, when, when they need it, Lord God. That we would desire to, to mentor the younger generation with your word. That we would desire to, to disciple other believers. Lord God, make us a church that delights in your word. Like King David declares in Psalm 119, that we would love your commandments, that we would delight in your word, that we would hope in your precepts. So that we as a, as a church can grow up into your likeness and, and be that city on a hill to be lights in your name like you've called us to be, Lord God. I pray this in Jesus' name.